All right, let's start with the Nokar Mantra. Om Namo Arihantanam Om Namo Sitanam Om Namo Ayadiyanam Om Namo Uchayanam Namo Rue Savasahunam Esu Panchanamo Karo Sava Pavapanasano Mangalalancha Savaisim Paramam Have Mangalam Paramam Have Mangalam All right, so today we're going to talk about greed. We've talked about anger, ego, and deceit. And remember, greed is one of the four kashayas, which are, remember that uh, Jane comes from the word Jina, which means victor. And who are we fighting against? We're fighting against anger, ego, deceit, and greed. And so this will be your last enemy. And um, it's something that you can do in this life. You can get rid of all of them. So there's no excuse to not work on it right now. And something I didn't know until recently was that you fight them in that order, anger, ego, deceit, and greed. And the reason that you do that, the reason why greed is last is because greed is the hardest because it leads to the other one, other ones. It's easy to see that greed, if something goes wrong, can make you angry. It's easy to see that when you're greedy, you have a big ego. And it's easy to see that when you're greedy, you practice deceit to um, to reinforce that greed, right? Where it's, it's, it's harder to see, well, if you're, if I'm angry about somebody doing something or not doing something, it's hard to see how that's greed, right? It, it, the relationship isn't like that. The relationship is that greed actually leads to all the other things. And so that's why it's a definite order that you go through them and greed is the hardest one. And it's the one that you're going to fight last. Thanks for everybody that just joined. Today we're talking about greed. This is, of course, the last of the four kashayas. What is greed? Greed is the accumulation of wealth and material possessions. But not only that, uh, it's related to wealth and that's how most people know it. But it's about having more power, having more fame, having more pleasure, uh, having more intelligence, having more respect. All of that is included in greed. Um, so greed is a dangerous passion because there's no end to it. Where There might be an end to anger, especially after some time passes, you'll automatically be less angry. But greed is a cycle of when you fulfill that greed, you become more greedy. And there's no end to your desires. So the only thing you have to know about that is that if one person had all the wealth in the world, all the property in the world, in the universe, for example, he could still be greedy. It's easy to see that, right? So all the matter in the world is not going to fill, fulfill the desires of one person, much less everybody. So it's easy to see how this can become out of control in a cycle. So how long does greed last? There are four uh, types of lengths that greed lasts. Uh, in you and the book describes it as some greed is very mild like a color that can be washed away by water the next one is uh, a mild greed that can be removed by soap and water this type of weeks uh, greed takes weeks or months to get rid of the first one takes uh, hours or days to get rid of 
The third type of greed is intense, and it's like a stain that requires special chemicals to remove. This type of greed takes months or years to get rid of. And the fourth type of greed is very intense, and the book describes it like a permanent dye. And this type of greed takes a lifetime or more to get rid of. Bhagavan Mahavir said, A greedy person cannot be satisfied even he, if he accumulates countless heaps of gold and silver, the size of Mount Kalyash. Desires are limitless like space. You may annex the entire universe and you may acquire the wealth of the whole world, but even these will not be sufficient to satisfy your greed. Even that treasure will not be able to protect you from the miseries of the world. And that last sentence is key because it gets to the heart of why people are greedy. People are greedy and desire the accumulation of wealth because they're trying to protect themselves. They're trying to insulate themselves from hunger. They want shelter. They want basic needs. They want food. They want sex. They want all of the, our basic needs. And we realize that greed, money is an important aspect to acquiring these things. But not only do they want basic needs, they want other things too. And um, as you accumulate these things, you start thinking, well, I am insulating myself. I'm protecting myself so I can have a better life, so I can be a better person. But it's not true because those all can vanish in an instant along with the money. Um no matter how much you collect or how much you insulate yourselves, that doesn't guarantee you'll be happy. Believe it or not, rich people are very commonly depressed, very commonly have uh, mental difficulties that we wouldn't even consider they should have, right? Um, because their wealth doesn't protect them from what's going on on the inside. So there are five components to greed. Um, early negative experiences. Second is misconception about the nature of self. The third is a constant fear and sense of insecurity. The fourth is the maladaptive strategy to protect yourself. And the fifth is when you're an adult, you create a persona to mask all of these things. So let's talk about each in order. First, early negative experiences. So in childhood, we typically have insufficient or inadequate nurturing. And that could be a different, that could come about in many different ways. Um, for example, you may not get enough attention. You may not get enough of the survival things that you need, such as food and shelter. Okay, you, And it may not be your fault. It could be because your parents have died or um, the family has run into monetary pro troubles. It's not always your fault, right? Um, it probably isn't your fault. You may be living through a time of famine. Uh, alternatively, even wealthy children, children of wealthy parents, they may be at work all the time and feel guilty about it and give their kids lots of gifts and money, right? So they're still getting insufficient love, right? Next is the misconception uh, stage. So when, as a child, you experience that lack, that deprivation, um, you internalize that your well-being depends on getting the things that you want. That is, you can't be a whole person or there's a hole inside of you that you're trying to fill, and you constantly try to fill it. You believe things like, life is limited, there aren't enough resources for everyone, or 
I don't have enough because other people are taking my share, what's mine. You believe things like, once I have it all, then I'll never lack anything again. You believe things like, uh, all I ever get are unsatisfactory things, nothing ever lives up to my standards, or I can't trust anyone else to give me what I need. I can't trust the earth, I can't trust my surroundings, I can't trust other people, I can only trust myself. Next is fear. The next stage of greed is fear. So based on those misconceptions that you have about the world, and which are based on the early negative experiences, you start living in fear. You start uh, hoarding the things that you need. Sometimes it's food, sometimes it's attention, sometimes it's money. Um, and so this uh, is your coping strategy to deal with that fear. And that dovetails into the fourth one. You develop a mal maladaptive strategy to protect it. Um, you obsessively seek your substitute for whatever you need. Uh, you're compulsive in acquiring it. You hoard it. And they go so far in some people as to you prevent other people from acquiring it. Um, and you blame others when they don't provide enough for you. For example, food. Um, you blame... Uh, you prevent others from acquiring food by stealing it from them, even though you don't need it, uh, because you might need it later, and you blame others for failing to provide you enough. And so the fifth stage is when you're an adult, that is you create a persona based on the previous four stages, and that and that's you create a persona that masks those insecurities inside of you. You don't think you're a selfish person. You don't think you're a greedy person. You don't think actually you're doing it for you. You think you're doing it for other people. You collect wealth for other people, for my family, typically is what we think of, right? Wait, I have to do this for my family. My family depends on me, and I'm required to do this. Um, and so we, we sublimate into that role, and in that respect, we become greedy. Uh, we criticize other people's greed or selfishness, and uh, we obsessively pursue what has been, what we were in deficit for, for a lifetime. And it, the cycle is seeking, hunting, catching, hoarding, and winning. So this is the cycle of for example, if you think of in early times when we were hunter-gatherers, this is an extremely uh, positive feedback loop, this cycle of seeking, hunting, catching, hoarding, winning, right? Going out, hunting, returning, um, and everybody thinks you're great because you provided the tribe with food, right? So this greed taps into that cycle, and you feel very good about it. For example, if you are a businessman and you perform business deals. It's easy to see that you seek out a deal, you hunt the other party, you catch the deal, that is you catch the other party, you steal the deal, you hoard your winnings, and uh, you put the money in your bank account, right? And so because that taps into this hunter-gatherer thing, it's very addictive and it's very hard to break. So questions about the five stages of greed that occur throughout a lifetime. Questions or comments about any of what we talked about so far? Tim, can you move the greed from like you know, lifelong to shorter period of time? Absolutely. 
you can get rid of your greed in this lifetime. You can eliminate that greed within yourself in this lifetime. And so it is definitely possible to shorten the period of the cycle that we're talking about. Why? Why are we all fascinated by others that have greed? Like if you ever watch TV shows like, you know, the, the bad billions that are out on, you know, on Netflix now, about, you know, the three Indian tycoons, the billions that they stole, it's the greed that they had to take that profit away. And it's, it's amazing how it becomes like number one on the list very quickly, you know. Maybe it's new, okay, but it's, it's interesting how, you know, American Greed, the show on CNBC, you know, there's a lot of these greed shows that people are always pulled to understand how someone else's greed was really too much greed, I guess, you know? Right. The reason why we love that is, one, it's easy to relate to. Everybody, money is something that everybody wants, and it's easy to relate to. And it's easy to see us in their shoes. It's easy to see us falling into the same traps. And also, another reason is, we would like to think we would do something different, right? We would like to look down on our nose at wealthy people because, oh, I would never do that. You know, I only need a million dollars to retire and I would never, you know, keep on pushing and pushing and pushing. But we don't know because we've never been in that situation, right? You know what the funny thing is about um, the people who say that money isn't everything? If I hear money isn't everything and it's coming from a poor person, I say, well, what do you know? Like you never had it, right? And if a rich person tells me money isn't everything, I'm like, well, what do you know? You've never been poor. Like, you don't know what it's like. So no matter who tells me money isn't everything, I have an excuse not to believe it, right? And so I think that's that's a factor that plays into it. So you, you want them to say money is everything, right? <laughs> <laughs> I want somebody with the exact dollar amount in their bank account that I have down to the cent tell me that money isn't everything. <laughs> Okay, so let's talk, we, we talked about greed, we talked about why it's bad, I think you already know that. Now let's talk about how to beat it, that is, how to be Jains and how to conquer our enemy. So the, our primary weapon is called santosh, or contentment. That is, it means free from your own self require, free your own self from requirements and desires. Contentment is a pure state of satisfaction, and remember, it's a quality of your soul. Okay, you are like this. You have this characteristic. It is the karma that binds to your soul and the fact that your soul is in a body which creates greed in you. Remember what your true self is. Greed is unnatural. And so we have to remind ourselves that the self and the non-self are different. And remember way back when, when I was surprised that very few people believed that they're a soul, if you start believing you're a soul, that will infinitely help you get rid of this greed because you transfer the greed to your body, right? That greed that you feel, that's about your body. That's not me and I reject it. So believing you're a soul is our number one weapon against greed. And then realizing that greediness is a prison, right? It's bondage. It's at the root of all miseries and it's the father of uh, anger, ego, and deceit. 
A famous Indian saint has said, because of passions, anger, and greed, human beings drown without water. And that's what it feels like. It feels like we're drowning. It feels like we have no weapons against everything and anything that's distracting us from our goals. So we contemplate on the fact that greed has no bounds. That's a weapon we can use. And we remember that greed always increases with the amount of possessions that you have. The more you get, the more you want. Everything you get always becomes something you have. And you know what I realized who who noticed this? Is this uh, toy company my daughters like. They like this LOL surprise dolls. And what whoever the manufacturer is has realized is that the getting is better than the having. So what they've done is they've increased the amount of time for the getting. So previously a toy would be like, oh, I got the toy. I anticipated it. I got it. I give it to my dad and he cuts it open, right? And then I'm feeling really great while he's cutting it open because I'm anticipating all the fun I have with that toy. And then he gives it to me and I'm feeling great. And then I play with it and I'm still feeling great. And an hour later, it's in the same bucket with all the other toys that I never play with. But this company, LOL Surprise, has made it such that the fun of the toy is the getting, that is the unwrapping of a toy. It's a series of 10 concentric spheres. And each sphere has part of the toy. And it takes the child about an hour to like unlock and twist the sphere uh, to get that part of the toy and then kind of unwrap it and destroy that part. So it's like, so it takes about 10 minutes for each concentric sphere. So they prolong the getting part into an hour. And kids love these toys. They still go into the same bin as all the other toys that they never play with. But the getting has been transformed to an hour instead of the 10 minutes that it took me to open it up. So that remember, the more we get, the more we want, because it's the getting that feels good. The having is a liability. But once you can put these two together, that is the getting leads to the having, that's when your life will change. In the beginning, we'd always think we desire little wealth, you know? what? Everybody has a number. What's my retirement number? It's 2.5 million. When I get that, I'm done. But when I get that, what happens? Has anybody, has anybody hit their retirement number? Have you stopped working? You know, what happens when you hit that number? You think, oh, no, wait, you know, I, I just got that car last year. I need to keep doing it. Or, oh, no, wait, I just, you know, my kids, uh, my kids want to go to more expensive college. I need to keep my, your number gets higher and higher, doesn't it? I, I haven't reached my first number yet, but this is what I hear, right? And so you're, you never reach your number. So here's what Mahavir said. A person who understands reality has no misery. A person who is without longing has no delusion. A person without greed has no longing. And a person who does not have possessions has no greed. So it is the stuff you have that is causing your greed. And if only we could realize that. It's easy for me to say. It's easy for you to hear. It's hard for me to look around the room and start throwing things away, right? That's the hard part. The absence of greed is contentment. That doesn't mean we should not make an honest way to earn a living. 
We should be fairly rewarded for our efforts. However, we should limit the amount that we want to accumulate. We should make proper use of our wealth, power, name, fame, knowledge, and relationships. We should not become selfish, mean, or stingy. Remember, greedy people are also stingy people. Greedy people don't always live in mansions. Greedy people is that person who lives in a shack and has $2 million in the bank account because he is so insecure about money that he's extremely frugal. And he doesn't spend on anything, including himself. See, these are the things that we try to do to math. This is what I was talking about, that persona. We create a persona where, oh, I'm not spending on myself. I have, you know, I have this money in the bank and that money will go to my children or I have a charity or something that I'm going to give it to. I'm not spending it on myself. That's the persona that I adopt to convince myself I am not greedy. When in fact, the person living in the shack with $2 million in the bank that's doing nothing is a type of greedy person. We should devote more time to spiritual activities and distribute additional wealth toward worthy causes. So questions about that. Expecting more rewards for the same efforts you put in, is that the greed or not? Give me an example. Is it like you're expecting better and better rewards for the same and same effort that you put in? Right. So when you have, uh, for instance, uh, I'm not talking about money. For instance, you are, you are um, exercising. And you're putting the same 20 minutes of your effort to the same time. And you want to see better medical results. You're working toward your, your own self, your health, and expecting better results in that direction. Yes, the book definitely says that there is greediness associated with physical pleasures, and um, so it depends. So you mentioned that you're working out for your health. That's pretty good, uh, but if you expect the same, if you expect more and more results from the same amount of effort that you put in, sure, I may think it seems like you've departed from reality right there. It seems like you've let your greed get you the way, get in the way of the truth, right? So I think that might be greed. Actually, for me, other than that, when I get sad, when I don't see positive results. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, that is correct. You are putting the effort that's been prescribed and uh, same efforts and what's been asked to do. Uh, but the, at the end of the day, the results are measured in your medical reports, which are not in favorable or they have not moved the needle. So, would. I mean, obviously, disappointment is there, but expecting better results while following the prescribed path, is that the grief or not? That's, that's the simple question for me. So, Pavan, I can only tell you from my experience that when I decided that, hey, I, gotta, I had to do something and I never did anything, I thought that 
maybe walking a mile a day was like going to help me. And so I started doing this mile a day. But that didn't really help me attain what I wanted to attain. So my expectation of what I wanted to attain is different than what that 20 minutes of time that I was spending would do. Right. So there's a gap in expectations versus the reality. I, I understand that part. But when you're walking the same path as what's been prescribed to you, either it's a doctor... Exercise is one of those things that, um, you know, it's like lifting weights. If you lift five right. pounds the first day, you can't go right. back and lift five pounds seven months later. Right, of course. Right, right. Like, you're, you have to you have to step up your game. We have to build up. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's part of, I think, a mindset and breathe. You know, it's like, hey, yeah, I, want, I, want, I want to do something better for myself, and I'm going to put all the 110% effort every time, right? And, you know, and I'm going to increase that effort as I keep moving forward. Like, yeah, locus, so I, I, locus, tra locus training for the marathon, right? Right. So, you know, he does this two-mile, three-mile, four-mile run. So today I ran for two miles, right? Like, I was, like, warped out, and she's still going, right? <laughs> but she's, practic she's practicing for it, right? Right. Um, Right. Question. I'm just right. No, no, no. I, I mean, I, I, I get that. It's, uh, I, I completely understand if the, the efforts are not put in place or they are required to increase the effort uh, in order to get that result. There is no doubt in my mind. But when, when you're walking the prescribed path, what is, whatever is Lopez doing, let's say for that example, and she is, if he's been told this is the path to take to get to where you want to be. And despite of doing everything what you do, you do not get the same results. Is that having a higher expectation or having that expectation, what was described before, is that, uh, is that the grief that you should expect that or you should always understand that you are coming short every single effort you put in place? I, I think it's more a motivational thing than grief. I, I mean, I, I don't know. Me, I, I really need a lot of money for some type of uh, immediate wealth, you know, right. or benefit. I don't see uh, I don't see our health being immediate. You know, although we want everything immediate, you know, this is like kind of like you know an Ayurvedic way of getting you from A to B rather than a homeopathic way of like, you know, getting you. Right. Yeah, and I'm not talking about immediate. The immediate meaning could be uh, duration could be de uh, different definitions, right? You could have six months duration expectations. You could have months. You could have a year. So if you, if you look at four years, what you've been asked to do, you've been doing for four years, and you still do not get where you are expecting to be at, would, would, would that consider as agreed or not? Um, anyway, yeah, I was just thinking about that. No problem. So let's say, let's say I'm rich. What should I do? The book says... By utilizing my excess wealth in philanthropic activities, I can properly resist the feeling of hostility directed against me by the unemployed and the poor. By renouncing excessive luxury, inordinate worldly pleasures, and properly limiting my needs, I can utilize my excess wealth for the good of the society, which is beneficial to me, myself, the rich themselves, and the entire society as well. Uh, so... That's right, because rich people try to insulate themselves 
from poor people because they will feel that hostility directed at them. And that's why they live in gated communities or that's why they live in zip codes where buses don't go or that's why they live in a number of ways, right? So by resisting my greed, I can make my life better as well as society in general better. So what is the best way to resist greed? That is to give charity or dan. And there are four types of charity. Ahardan, which is the gift of food. Ashuadi dan, which is the gift of medicines or helping the sick. Abaydan, which is the gift of shelter to living beings who are at risk of their life or providing people or living beings from providing them with protection from danger, attack, or threat. And vidyada, which is the gift of books or imparting knowledge or helping educational institutions. So these are the types of charity that over that are weapons against greed. According to the Tathvartha Sutra, remember we did an intro to that to that book. Charity is the giving of one's belongings for the good of oneself and of others. So remember that when you perform charity, you're doing something for yourself. Such charity or gifts are always recommended because in giving one's belonging to others, one exercises control over his greed, which is a form of himsa. So greed is a form of himsa. And we talked about this when we talked about, well, why is Jainism the religion of ahimsa? And why does ahimsa seem to take over everything? Why isn't it just one of the five vows where it's now we seem to think of it as the all-encompassing vow? Because everything is defined as himsa, including greed. Dan is recommended in the celebrated standard sacred Jain text of the Pushartha Siddha Upaya, which says, In giving a gift, one gets over greed, which is a form of himsa, and and hence gifts made to worthy recipients amount to a renunciation of himsa. Why a person should be not called greedy if he does not give gifts to a guest who visits his home? It means that the practice of giving gifts is tantamount to the practice of ahimsa. Okay, so now it's not only a weapon, charity is not only a weapon that you can use to fight greediness, you're now considered greedy or performing himsa if you don't perform charity, right? If you don't do these things. So you kind of see a kind of definition creep of greed and himsa here. So questions or comments about uh, any of that? I have another topic we can get to. So questions or comments about anything about greed before we move to another topic. He's expecting most this in this life is greed. That's right. So there is a, such a thing as greediness in spiritual endeavors. And the antidote for, to that is the truth. That is, we understand the right path and what it takes to get there. You can expect, just like Bhavan was saying, expecting more than what you put in. That's a... I think in this respect is a more clear-cut case of greed as regarding relative to the exercise example where it's less clear-cut. And expecting 
certainly the trap that a lot of people fall into is they say, I am doing my best. I adopt, remember, I adopt a persona that masks my greed. And that persona is, I'm doing my best spiritually that I can. And then we use that as an excuse to perhaps look down on other people, which is ego. Or we use that as an excuse to get angry at people, particularly our kids, who are not there yet. And so we see how that spiritual greed, I'll call it, leads to anger, right? And certainly there is that trap that we can fall into of using our spiritual path as greediness. That's a very great point. Thank you. That makes sense. Sure. So moving on to a different topic, uh, you you guys will remember uh, that we've had a lot, quite a few open challenges in this class. Uh, that relate to some of the hard-earned truths that we learned together. So I'd like to remind people of the three open challenges, and in case anybody missed them, I'm willing to talk about them at any time. Um, so the first open challenge that we have is to describe me a scenario where anger is not, where you get angry and that anger is not directed at you, right? We learned that all anger is directed at the self. And the open challenge is to find a scenario where anger is not directed at the self. We learn that because we learn that anger is a mismatch between expectation and reality. And so it's always caused by a delusion in yourself. And when you get angry, you get mad at yourself. The second open challenge that I have in this class is... Because all of reality is mediated through the senses, and the senses are subjective, there's no such thing as objectivity. And because there's no such thing as objectivity, there are no such thing as facts. So my challenge to you is to describe me a fact, and I will tell you why it is not a fact. And this is incredibly difficult because I just looked up, I just Googled fact versus opinion just to see like what my kids are learning when they learn about what's a fact and what's an opinion. And then like the first five hits, I saw three things that were presented as fact that were opinions. Here they are. This is a color blue. Well, that's not a fact because it turns out actually that color is turquoise, right? Here's another fact. Austin is the capital of Texas. Well, how is that a fact? Well, I read it in a book. Well, can't books make mistakes? Can't even the same falsity be perpetuated in thousands upon millions of books? Of course, we've all seen that example. So just because you read it in the book doesn't make it a fact, okay? So another fact, one plus one is two. This is really common because people think they can seek refuge in math to provide the evidence of a fact because it's somehow not a perception that is mediated by our senses. But one plus one is not two. One plus one in binary is one O. And with abstract rules, with abstract math, the rules of the game are predefined. So math is defined as one plus one equals two. And people present it as some kind of fact. But that's just the definition of what one is and what plus is and what one is and what two is, which makes it a tautology. And tautologies aren't facts. So that's my second open challenge to the class is describe me a fact, what you think is a fact, and I'll tell you why it is not a fact, because the entirety of reality is mediated through our senses. 
And the third one is that all strengths are weaknesses and all weaknesses are strengths. It kind of dovetails with the second one. If you call somebody indecisive, I will call that person thoughtful. That's actually a strength. If you call that person decisive, I will call that person impulsive. That's actually a weakness. Uh, if you call that person impulsive, I will. that's a weakness. I will call that person intuitive, and that's a strength. So there are no such things. All of your strengths are weaknesses, and all of your weaknesses are strengths, and they're the opposite side of the same coin. And it's important to understand that example, what opposite sides of the same coin mean. That means you can't have one without the other. Okay, and it's important to understand that because it occurs so often in our lives. You know, credit is the opposite side of the coin of debt. You know, so a lot of people think that what their assets are, they're actually really liabilities, right? I have all, what, what do I have? I have my house and my car. I think those are my assets. They're really my liabilities. Okay, assets are the other side of the coin of liabilities. So it's important to, so my challenge to you is to tell me something you think is a strength and I will tell you that it's actually a weakness. Or tell me something you think is a weakness and I will tell you that it's actually a strength. So can anybody address any one of these open challenges we have for this class? And if I can't give you an answer now, I'll think about it and I'll give you an answer next week. Yes. So the third, uh, so Anikantvad, you're, you're stating is a strength, right? No, what I'm saying is Anikantvad, right? You know, I mean, everything, I mean, it, it can have multiple views right. about it. Right. You, you, you can say it one way, the other person can say it the other way, and the third person can say it the third way. Right. Means there is no one, one truth. There are multiple truths, and it just depends upon the angle and perception or what, what what is looking for, and I, I, I don't think you know we'll be able to come up with a solid example uh, because these are these are actually the facts that anything else. These three statements that your strength is a weakness, uh, there's no such thing as objectivity, and uh, anger is self-directed. I think you know, maybe these are the truth. So let me, <laughs> let me ask you. Here's an example: uh, anger is self-directed. I think that's the truth. Is that a fact? So there are things that are true that are not facts, right? So I'm saying that uh, facts are not true, okay? But there are things that are true that are not facts. And so all anger directed by it, all anger being directed at the self is true, but it's not a fact. And, and remember when we talked about deceit, Truths are, in fact, not facts at all. For example, if I tell somebody a lie to prevent, to, to not hurt their feelings and to prevent violence, that's the truth. And that's not a fact. In fact, it's a lie. So truth can be a lie. So these are different concepts. So what would you say about this? Uh, sun doesn't rotate? Planets 
So the planets <clears throat> don't re revolve around the sun. You, you're telling me that's a fact. Or the planets revolve around the sun. You're saying that's a fact, right? Well, in truth, that whole solar system is moving together, right? And the whole solar system is moving throughout the galaxy. Um, I said only about the planets going rotating around the sun. Let's see. So how is that not a fact? Do you have a different point of view there? <laughs> I think solar and galaxy, I think I have to, before that, do an export of solar and galaxy to come up with some sort of, but I can assure you, I think there's going to be somebody who has this and say, okay, you know, that's not true. Uh, that's not a fact. Uh, no, well, no, so a different point of view. So it depends on where you're standing, right? Where it would appear that the planets ro revolve around the sun. If you're standing on the planet, it doesn't appear that way at all. It's only if you're looking at it from a certain point of view that it appears that way. Yeah, it's the theory of relativity. The speed or the motion is never an absolute, it's always relative. So it depends, if you are standing on the sun, yes, you can see that the planets are revolving, uh, not revolving, the, the, they are going around the sun. If you are on the planet, if you are in a separate planet, different planet, even if you are on the moon, you would not see that. So, okay, so if you're saying where I'm standing, yeah, in your relativity, for me it feels like this, the fact is, that's not the case. It's a, you are, because you're viewing it like that, so you're, you think it's a fact that the sun is rotating around us, and that's not true. If, to prove it, you have to see it from the outside and see that they, we do rotate around the sun. That's how, how we have a different you know, weather. So how do you know that the planets revolve around the sun? Science has taught us that. Someone's gone in space to see. So your teacher taught you that? <laughs> so your science teacher taught you that. Has your science teacher ever taught you something that wasn't true? Because mine has. I don't recall that, but... Uh, this is one thing that's just... Uh... So right now we are in the motion too, but we can't see that, we can't feel it, we can't understand it, right? Think about it, you are actually on the planet which is moving uh, 26,000 kilometers per hour, or whatever it is. So we, we don't feel that, we don't sense that. It, it is probably, it is the truth, or I would say it is a fact. But how is it a fact? Um, because you believe your science teacher, right? Or you believe the book that told it to you. You believe things that are true. You don't believe facts because there's no such thing as facts. Because you read it in a book that the planets revolve around the sun. So now you believe it. 
or you believe it because everybody in your life says so. But everybody in a lot of people's lives say things that aren't true, and they believe it. Or you believe it because an authority figure told it to you. Uh, but authority figures have been known to tell people things that aren't true. So I would say... point, you, we can prove 100% what we know is incorrect. Is that, is that what we are proving it? Everything with what we know, what we learn, what we see, what we have experienced is, is not the fact or not the truth. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that you can't trust it because reality is mediated through the senses. The only knowledge you can trust is the knowledge that comes from your soul. And you have enough. In fact, you have an infinite amount. Okay, so did I meet this challenge? Did I convince you that it wasn't a fact that the planets revolve around the sun? I got lost on it. I think the key to focus on is how do we know that a fact is true? And there could be science that uh, shows us something else in the meantime. You know what a good example is? Uh, people uh, have a real distrust of this theory of this many worlds interpretation, right? The fact that there might be infinite universes. But why? Okay, first we thought that there was only the Earth. Okay, so every time that mankind has determined that he is special he's always been disproved by science so first we thought we were special because there was only the earth but then we realized there's other planets and then we thought there we were special because there's only the solar system and then we realized there's other planets outside the solar system and then we thought we were special because we thought the whole universe re revolved around us but in fact the earth revolves around the sun apparently Okay, and then we thought we were special because of uh, we have the only uh, planet uh, in the right zone for life, which requires water. Um, but it turns out we're not special. Okay, now what is what do we think we're special? We think we're special because this is the only universe. Well, if we were wrong the previous ten times, and our intuition was wrong, why is this? seemingly impossible situation, why are we rejecting it based on our intuition that there's not more than one universe, right? That there's, that there's in fact, many worlds. So it, it, based on induction, it kind of seems like the many worlds theory is true. Because every time we thought we were a big deal, we've been proven wrong. And if we think that we're a big deal by being the only universe, we're probably wrong. Okay, so I think the, the, the answer to the question is, how do you know that the planets revolve around the sun? We have to question uh, the authority by which we learned it and realize that that authority is not 100% is not correct in all cases. So there could be a chance that the planets do not revolve around the sun because we could find some different interpretation that 
fits our measurements better than the planets revolving around the sun. It might be hard to think of right now. It might be hard for you to imagine. Certainly is hard for me to imagine. But it would be very hard to imagine considering a person that lived hundreds or thousands of years ago to say that the sun didn't move across the sky, right? It conflicts with all the sensory perceptions that you have. So now put yourself in the place of that person when I'm telling you no, that in fact the planets don't revolve around the sun. You'd call me crazy just like other people call that person crazy. So questions or comments about any of the open challenges we have so far? Questions or comments about anything about greed-related or about the four kashayas or anything we've discussed in this little mini-series here? Okay. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, everybody, for attending this week. I really appreciate your continued attendance. Uh, being a part of your life and taking an hour of your time each week is definitely not something I take for granted. And I hope that you continue to find value in these meetings. Thank you so much, Tim. Appreciate it. Thank you, Tim.